This episode is brought to you by Santa Clara University's Jesuit School of Theology, located in Berkeley, California. Learn to serve at the intersection of scholarship and culture. Find out more at scu.edu slash jst. And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Sorry if my dancing was distracting. I, it was a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know what the beat in your head is, but I just started dancing along. It's the, it's the intro music to Jesuitical. Listeners, oh. what you don't know is that when Ashley's reading that, we don't have the benefit of hearing the intro music. And so I try to bring the energy by uh, listening to it in my head. I thought you were just like dancing to the intonation of my voice, and it was making me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, any weirder. All right. All right, what are we drinking today, Zach? So this week we are drinking a Pinot Grigio that Olga picked out for us. It's Altanuda? I think so. Yeah, why did you pick out this white wine, Olga? Well, I picked it because I went to a Midtown Manhattan liquor store and they didn't have the wines that I usually go for, but this was a great option that was suggested to me by a fellow co-worker, so here is to our Pinot Grigio. Awesome. Cheers, Cheers. y'all. And you got this white wine because our guest requested it, right? So who are we talking to this week, Olga? So this week we are talking with Hunter Harris, who is a staff writer at Vulture, where she reviews films and TV shows. And we decided to talk to her this week because last month our very own Kieran Freeman, who is a former O'Hare fellow and part of the Jesuitical team, wrote a piece on the 10 best Catholic school movies of all time. Yeah, we figured that now that summer's over, school's back, it was the perfect time to talk to Hunter about some of the films that he included on the list. Uh, in particular, there are three that we get into. Uh, a 90s comedy called Superstar. Superstar. Uh, an Oscar-nominated film called <laughs> Doubt about accusations of sexual abuse in Catholic schools. And lastly... I think the staff favorite and the number one movie on the list, Lady Bird, a coming of age drama set in Catholic school, California. Also, Hunter is just super, super fun. So stay tuned. Yeah. A critic who can say nice things about bad movies. Superstar spoiler alert. But that, I always <laughs> admire people who can do things like that. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, our first story, if you are listening to this on Friday, millions of students across the country and the world are taking part in the global climate strike. So they are skipping school to demand action on, on the climate crisis. And in this fight, they find an ally in Pope Francis, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, last week, uh, Pope Francis announced the Global Compact on Education, which is an alliance that's going to take place at the Vatican next May, and which is meant to help Catholics come up with solutions on how to teach and act on climate change. Which is this comes almost five years after the publication of Laudato Si, his encyclical on care for our common home. Yeah, so basically he's going to be inviting students, teachers, um, uh, nonprofit leaders to come to the Vatican to devise ways to teach students about how to care for our common home. Um, so it's a, a great partnership. Yeah, it's, it calls back to being frank a couple weeks ago where he said, don't just complain about the world, do something about it. And so uh, this is Pope Francis trying to do something about it, get people to do yeah. something about Speaking it. Speaking of, there's a bishop in the UK doing that, right? Olga? Yes. So if you're looking for some good examples of how to follow the call to action in Laudato Si', 
Last month, Bishop John Arnold started turning the official residences of Catholic bishops in Salford into wildlife sanctuaries. And this sanctuary is going to include campsites, hiking trails, gardens for fruits and vegetables, and a Laudato Si center where people can undertake an ecological conversion of prayer and action in their everyday lives and learn how to care better for the environment. Yeah, and these residences are these like medieval uh, buildings and structures, and it's a really beautiful thing. And to see them being turned into something that's going to, you know, cut down on the carbon footprint and also educate people on ways that they can care for the environment. Good use of Catholic land as a common theme on our, on this podcast. <laughs> What's next, Zach? So the Vatican is responding to the German Catholic Church's plan for a synodal journey that's happening later this year. Um, and so this is a story with lots of moving parts, so we're going to try and sketch out a timeline for you. Right. So back in September of 2018, um, after a report came out uh, detailing revelations of sexual abuse in the German church, uh, and at a time when the church continues to bleed members, uh, church leaders decided to do a nationwide discussion taking on, like, controversial subjects. Yeah, so some of the things that don't normally get brought up, like uh, women's ordination, uh sexual morality, uh, celibacy in the priesthood. These things are all supposed to be on the table for uh, discussion and debate at this synodal journey. And we wanted to bring this story both because, you know, it, we think it's important to pay attention to what's happening in the rest of the Catholic world, um, but also because this, we thought, was a good example of the type of dialogue and back and forth that can happen between uh, a national bishop's conference and the Vatican itself. And, you know, what robust lay involvement looks like and, you know, how far can you push that envelope? Yeah. And so there's been a, because this is unprecedented, um, there has been some ongoing dialogue between the Vatican and the German church to make sure that the German church doesn't get out of step with the universal church. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's a tough thing because it's not a synod. Right. Right. A synod, which we talk about a lot, like this upcoming synod in the Amazon that requires that's planned by the Vatican. It has Vatican approval mm -hmm. there. The German bishops are specifically calling this a synodal journey. Right. Um, and so figuring out what that means and what it's going to look like has been sort of a work in progress. Right. So back in June, Pope Francis wrote a letter to the, uh, quote unquote, people of God in Germany to to say that, you know, he, he wants to be close to them in this process. Um, and he emphasized that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit needs to guide it and that the focus of it needs to be evangelization, that, that that is the core to renewing the church in Germany. Right. And he also identified what could be certain temptations that the German bishops will face. He warned against purely structural reforms that adapt the church to the spirit of the times. And he also warned them against the temptation of fragmentation and urged them to keep alive the communion with the whole body of the church. Right. And so the subtext of that is, so a lot of times when a particular national church has a meeting, they do make binding decisions that don't need the Pope's approval. They're just because it's more matters of like governance church governance. And, yeah. But because they are talking, they're going to have open discussions about things like women's ordination or priestly celibacy, and they're giving lay people, you know, voting power. There's there's a worry that they could make decisions that would put them um, at odds with the universal church. And typically in synods, bishops are the only people who have legislative power. It's important that lay people in the whole church is consulted, but it's very unprecedented that lay people have actual voting democratic powers. Yeah. And I don't think it's I don't think it's at all clear that that's what the German bishops are aiming for. They want lay input. 
They want it to be open and transparent. I don't think necessarily the idea is that there's going to be a democratic vote on on these like very sensitive issues. Right. And, and to just give some additional context about Germany, you know, and this ongoing dialogue that we're seeing between the conference and the Vatican, these kinds of back and forth between the German conference and the Vatican have occurred before. For example, back in 2017, they talked about the issue of communion for non-Catholic spouses and they went back and forth with, you know, they drafted a proposal sent to the Vatican, the CDF rejected it. So this isn't the first time we're seeing them engage in this kind of dialogue. Yeah. And so this Synodal journey is set to take place uh, starting with Advent this year. And so we'll be sure to keep you updated as to the news that comes out of that as that dialogue continues. What's our next story, Olga? So our last SOT is our latest addition to our Being Frank section, which is the part of our show where Pope Francis tells us what to do. And this week, while celebrating daily morning mass at the Vatican, he urged Catholics to pray for politicians. That's right, which can be a hard thing to want to do sometimes. And, And he acknowledged that. He said, politicians today seem to be offered, quote, a rosary of insults and swear words, and that sometimes they deserve it. I I thought that maybe he was acknowledging that swear words count as prayers in some instances there. Um, but he he was saying, you know, we do have to pray for them and not just with the four letter words, right? We have to pray that they are. Uh, the readings were from 1 Timothy, which urged people to pray for everyone, for kings and for all in authority. So as usual, tough challenge from the Pope. Right. But I think it's safe to say that they need our prayers at this moment. Absolutely. What are some of your strongest memories from Catholic school? Oh, my. Okay. This is um, the strongest memory is something that my dad literally talked like we talk about this all the time. I was in the second grade and I was reading Harriet the Spy. This is like kind of a weird story. I was reading (laughs) Harriet the Spy and I was like obsessed with this book. Mm -hmm. And my like daddy was like, my dad was like, you have to like drop the book. Like we're going to school, whatever. And I was so mad at him for like taking my book away that like the first nun I saw when we walked into school, Sister Jacinta, who was like the nicest nun. And I'm like obsessed with her still. I like told on him to her. I was like, <laughs> my dad took my book away. Like Sister Jacinta, what are you going to do about this? Like, this is so wrong. And to this day, my dad like still brings it up. Like you had the audacity to like... <laughs> to- to snitch to a nun. I was like, and it's all, again, like we're not Catholic. I don't know why I thought that was like appropriate, but I was just so mad. And if anyone could fix it, it would be such a Jacinta. I think she was like, (laughs) I remember her laughing and then being like, well, you know, like he's your dad, like whatever he says, you know, goes. And I was like, no, no, we're at school now. Like you're the authority (laughs) here. You're in charge. Exactly. Well, I feel like, so it's not the like stereotypical scary Catholic school nun. No, and that's that's something that I really appreciated about Lady Bird because like when I was growing up, I would always love to like go have meals with the sisters because mm-hmm. our my Catholic school is um run by a lot of nuns. And I don't mean this to sound pejorative, I mean this like a very loving way. They all felt like grandmothers and like sort of women that I just love to be around because they all had like such different experiences and and it was always like a very loving environment for me. And yeah. that's why whenever I I think they're there's a way to sort of present Catholicism in Catholic schools and movies where it's like very harsh and strict and all of this stuff. But for me, it was like a really, you know, engaging and loving environment to grow up in. And it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Is there something to the strictness, though? Because I, I feel like maybe it's not like 
no one's like slapping your knuckles with rulers, but yeah. there is like more of a, I would say, a sense of rigor. Um, I didn't go to Catholic school. So this okay. is actually just from outside looking in. There's more of a sense of like stricter, kids are better behaved, et cetera. Is that accurate or? I think so. You know, before I came on, I was watching some scenes from uh, The Basketball Diaries, the Leo DiCaprio, mm. like Jim Carroll adaptation. Mm-hmm. And um, in that movie, it really does sort of dig into the idea of Catholic schools as like being a very rigid, strict environment. Like he's like the first scene is him being like spanked, like corporal punishment mm-hmm. for him like talking in class. But again, that was like never my experience. Um, it does kind of feel like and I think it also can like be played for laughs that that, yeah. you know, just like misbehaving in school. And then it's like you're not only answering to a teacher, but like your teacher is also like your religious authority. Like so, like, God. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like even more, you know, high stakes. Mm-hmm. So. We would not be able to have you on this show without asking this. As you know, the hot priest is having a moment in shows like <laughs> Fleabag and The Young Pope and First Reformed. And I'm asking you this question, but I feel like there's only one right answer for this. Do you have a favorite hot priest? Oh, my gosh. Of course I do. Of course I do. My hot priest is Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. Yes! <laughs> okay. We, see, we were talking about this in prep yesterday, and I was like, I will only accept... Hunter saying that it's Adam Driver, even though in silence he is not at his best. Oh my gosh. Ugh, Adam Driver. He's yes. just, we are, <laughs> most of the show really loves Adam Driver, but one of the co hosts is not as big of a fan. But who's not as big of a fan? Uh, uh. <laughs> it's, that, it's more that he doesn't understand how women find him attractive. Well, just going back to silence, he's like literally like an emaciated, tortured priest. And yes. is the argument that even in that state, he's still a hot priest? And that gives him extra points. Hmm. Now we're really digging into the hard topics. I think, okay. <laughs> the hetero man is weighing in here, so I just want to I that. think Adam Driver would be the hot priest, but because he is so gaunt in silence, it is hard to see him as a hot priest. Yeah. Um, although, what a devastating performance in that movie, um, which I haven't thought about his performance specifically in that movie in a, in a minute. But but no, I think my hot priest is Ethan Hawke in First Reformed because he's he has just like this sort of like manic stillness in that movie that I find so just nuts to watch. Um, and also I want to I like trace his little forehead wrinkle like Bradley Cooper traced <laughs> Lady Gaga's nose in A Star Is Born because it's like, oh my God, I love it. Um, All right, so stepping back a little bit from the specifics of Adam Driver. <laughs> um, so what do you have any like grand theory of what makes a good Catholic school movie versus a bad one? Are there like certain pitfalls that you see directors falling into when it comes to depicting Catholicism? I think a lot of the time and obviously because movies are a visual medium, a lot of the time it is just kind of having the set pieces of like, okay, now here's a chapel and here are like some boys like playing basketball again, like a diocesan league or something like that. I mean, and this is something that Greta Gerwig told America, um, that you that you have to think about this as like, you have to approach it with love and think about this as like something that you really want to seriously include in the narrative as not just a place where things happen, that it's not just a school, it's a Catholic school that um, that she sits in mass and like, you know, is like daydreaming about this boy that she likes and like is also looking at him like across the pew. And I just love that. I, I think you have to have you have to have gone to Catholic school to really get that and to think that to think about that kind of aspect of it like of like rolling your skirt and like it being too long and (laughs) all that stuff i'm like oh my gosh that was entirely me so before we get too deep into ladybird we want to no no we love this uh but we also want to go through a couple 
more Catholic school movies, at least yes. give them a little bit of credence. Uh, first, we want to start with Superstar. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it almost came out 20 years ago, um, 1999. And it stars Molly Shannon as the nerdy Catholic schoolgirl, Mary Catherine Gallagher, who Great dreams name. of being a superstar <laughs> and getting her first kiss. And that is the plot. Yes. Um, so, yeah, starting with Superstar, Hunter, what do you think makes it a great Catholic school movie and sort of how does it measure up to the rest of the canon? Oh, boy. So or this not. Is, or this not. Is yeah, weird, it's totally okay if you don't think This it's is great. a weird movie for me because I was obsessed with this movie when I was probably like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And I was like rewatching it over the weekend and I'm looking at it like, what was I like <laughs> thinking? Like, why did my parents let me watch this movie? Yeah. It's like so incredibly inappropriate. As far as is it like a great Catholic school movie? I would say... No, but I did like like one of the priests in that who was just like, what is this girl doing? What is she <laughs> thinking? And it's like, I could see that happening. That feels like very relatable <laughs> yeah. to me. I also loved it in middle school and haven't seen it since and I'm kind of afraid to watch it. Oh, because I'm very afraid. Yeah, yeah. I, I fear it maybe didn't age so well um, and you've confirmed that. But I do think it is nice to have like a Catholic school movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. It's just it's all about sort of being maladjusted and feeling yeah. like an outsider, which everyone does when they're like 14, 15, 16 years old. Right. Um, and, you know, Superstar like heightens that to, like the 15th degree. I should I should just say I. I think you're right. It's a bad movie. <laughs> but I, because I, I did not, I, I've heard a lot of people say that they related to it and loved it when yeah. they were children. And um, I think that's what uh, Kieran Freeman, who wrote the top 10 list, said mm-hmm. as well. But I watched it for the first time uh, this past spring and I was like, SNL skits shouldn't be movies. That See, was my big takeaway. You watch it and you're like, yeah. this really is just one SNL sketch <laughs> that they just like pulled out into like a 90 minute feature and it just you feel it it's not that funny right i do appreciate though that i think it shows you that catholicism can kind of exist just in the backdrop even if it's not like a major part of the film and even though i rewatched the film this weekend and just like the scenes with her in the trees and i'm just like again why did my parents (laughs) allow me to watch her making out with the trees (laughs) and as a 29 year old woman i was like i feel really uncomfortable at (laughs) watching this but i did appreciate the only silver lining for me was that it doesn't just turn you know the priests or the even nuns who like break the toaster like they're not just these That's caricatures the the you know yeah, um, with the toaster they are like <laughs> i think they're like full enough characters where you know it's kind of a satisfying watch for them right right, right. so if we can now move on to doubt which yes. is an oscar-nominated movie about abuse and it stars meryl streep philip seymour hoffman and amy adams how does it age and is this the kind of film that is is it important to have in the Catholic canon? I think so. Um, I remember very specifically watching Doubt and seeing that one Viola Davis scene between her and Meryl Streep. And I was like, wow, this is like acting like this mm-hmm. is we are getting some incredible performances in this movie. Um, but the thing that I think is really important about Doubt that seems a little bit unexpected is that it felt like the first movie to me where you can see like how like priests and nuns behave outside of the times when you typically see them, like mm-hmm. in chapel, like in a classroom. You had to see them after hours. Like there's that one sort of um, contrasting sequence where we see the priests like having um, this like very luxurious, like mm-hmm. red meat, like big meal. And then we see the nuns like in a more austere setting. And that really made an impression on me that even though they are priests and nuns all the time like they they're still like these are people just like i'm a person and they they're still like a knight 
time for them just as there are for anyone else. And that really made an impression on me when I was watching it for the first time. And I think one of the things is that it takes on this, like it was written after the 2002 Mm -hmm. revelations by the Boston Globe about the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. It takes that and it really interrogates that topic in a really thoughtful artistic way, which is not easy to do. Yeah, there are no simple answers in doubt. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone could walk away thinking like everyone is or that anyone is wholly guilty or wholly innocent. Um, Which would have been so easy to do to paint a black and white picture, especially at that time. There would have been a very receptive audience to something that just like made it a very clean line between good and evil. Totally. I mean, that's, yeah, no, I think it's kind of, miraculous that that is like a movie that exists Mm -hmm. um but it also to your point reminds me a little bit of spotlight the it's not a catholic school movie but there are scenes in that where you sort of see how the catholic school system is a part of like the larger culture of the city and and i i don't know i thought that was like kind of a really good part of of that movie and i love that like within the the catholic school world they're are moral there's moral good agents and moral bad agents and mm-hmm. they don't sort of represent one one side right like they're not the super strict bad evil abusers but then they're also not just like the good wholesome nuns that are helping i mean those are they exist in the same church yes exactly yes all right maybe so doubt i that i thought was the best film maybe of all time like on the list like creatively it's maybe not the best catholic school movie but that was my pick yeah all right should we move to what the we, best the Catholic best school Catholic school movie, school movie of all time. <laughs> okay, so Lady Bird. You love Lady Bird. I do love Lady Bird. I have something embarrassing to say. When I read the list of Catholic school movies, I like sat at my desk and like teared up <laughs> because I just love it. And I loved I loved what um what was written about it. This idea of like giving a teenager the experience of grace in a movie and how how like inspirational that is. I think the line was like, that's the basis of my faith. That's what the um the person who wrote that list said. And I thought it was so nice. Yeah. So I didn't go to Catholic school, um, but I still found the portrayal of high school life and yeah. relationships in Lady Bird so relatable. So what is it about the film that you think makes it universally appealing? I think the best thing about Lady Bird and also, I, I feel like I have to say this all the time because I make everyone I know watch this movie because mm-hmm. it is just so good. But I think everyone kind of has that feeling like, I wish something would happen to me. I wish I could live through something. I wish my life were like sort of spectacular in some way. And the thing about Lady Bird is that it's about looking at every part of your life, and every person in your life and thinking, actually, this is all spectacular. This is all magnificent and interesting and like emotional in a way that... Um, that is about being, you know, grateful for people who test you, for things that test you, but ultimately make you who you are. And it's funny because <laughs> because I talk about Lady Bird just <laughs> so much. All of my friends' moms will talk to me about it, too. And they're like, the mom was too mean. Like, mm. I don't get it. Like, I was ever like that. And it's not about whether the mom was mean or nice, but just about you know, thinking that loving someone is really hard mm-hmm. and receiving love is really hard, especially when you're of two different generations and like two women in different you know times in your life. I also went to Catholic school. And one of the things that really made me love the film so much is that I think it treats Catholic schools really lovingly. Yeah. And I think, you know, Greta Gerwig said this in her interview with our producer Eloise that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, like, what if you can take Instead of just focusing on all the jokes that can be made about Catholic schools, what if you treated it with love and what if you presented that to the world? And I think that's what makes it 
such a great film for me. I think that the way that it handles all of these experiences and these moments for people who are in that space. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the way that it treat? How does it handle stereotypes about Catholic schools? I think it really doesn't. It sort of avoids it. It presents a lot of a couple scenes of Lady Bird, the main character, like going to chapel, sitting in mass, and she's sort of trying to figure out where she fits into all of this. Like, she's so focused on literally everything else in her life. Um, Like, the boy that she likes that doesn't like her back, her mom being really frustrating. Um, And then at the very end of the movie, this is, like, not entirely a spoiler, really, but she finds herself back in a church because that's where she feels sort of a familiarity. It doesn't, it's not entirely her home, but it feels enough like the place that she came from that she you know, moves to New York and comes back to a church just to kind of feel safe again. And that's what I liked. It's that it doesn't have to be that she's like engaging in like theology really heavily or um, is like fussing with someone about their faith or something like that, but that she just grew up in this, you know, religious space and feels at home in it. And when she is like kind of lost in New York, that's where she returns to. And I really liked that, that it doesn't have to be, you know, extended sequences of someone sitting and like learning about, you know, something or other, but that that it just takes it seriously that she feels safe mm-hmm. in a church. She ends up in New York, but most of the movies in Sacramento. Yes. And you reported in Vulture that Greta Gerwig, the director, is interested in making three more movies yeah. based off of Sacramento. Yeah. Is there a character from Lady Bird that you want to see a spin-off movie from? Oh my gosh, every character. <laughs> I think I mean I would want to see a movie about Mary and about the mom. I would want to see yeah. a movie just entirely about her because I think that would be just really fascinating. Like prequel or in the future? I think, yeah, a prequel. I'd love to see like what Marion was like when she was younger. And there is a scene in Lady Bird that sort of alludes to her childhood mm-hmm. that she had a mom who was maybe not the most sensitive to her. Um, but I would love to see that movie. And I'd also love to see a movie about um, one of Lady Bird's classmates who this like random like gossipy girl who like wears she's actually starring in Big Little Lies I don't know if you've watched Big Little Lies but she was like a sporting character in Big Little Lies too her name's Catherine Newton and I thought she was just so funny and weird like she has the longest skirt which is like a very Catholic school girl (laughs) thing she has like barrettes in her hair and like like braces and I'm like who is this girl like where did she come from that was me in high school (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely want to see more of Sister Sarah Joan oh my gosh right yes yes I mean like one of the all time great depictions of just like a human person like let alone that she's a nun but just like the expectations you bring to that and then what the performance she delivers is just like incredible and i think relatable to what you said about what you remembered about the nuns in your catholic school being like sort of affectionately grandmotherly like figures right right and that's i love that scene because it is one of those moments where lady bird in that scene is like I don't know. Like, I guess I just pay attention to Sacramento. I don't I don't really like, have anything to say about anything. I'm just like, I'm just like a teenager. And the announcer, Sarah Joan, is like, well, I think those are the same things, like like loving something and paying a lot of attention to it. Yeah. And that's I mean, what an experience, you know, to be a teenager and, and just to be sort of, I don't know, vindicated in that way. Like maybe the things that you're noticing, other people aren't noticing. And that maybe there's like something special about the way that you think about things, the way that you love something. I really love that scene. Real quick, did you agree with Karen Freeman's assessment that it is the greatest Catholic school movie of all time? What if I was like, no? I know. I'd be like, I don't know you. You'd scrap this interview. Of course they do. Okay, all right. So we've got one final question for you. We ask all our guests, if you could canonize anyone, Catholic or not, living or dead, fictional or not, who would it be and why? 
Oh, brother. <laughs> I would canonize. Um, I would canonize Annette Benning because she's my favorite actor. And also there's that, like, incredible photo of her holding, like, two... Um, like sandwiches like like two like sandwiches from like a grocery store like sub sandwiches and a bottle of wine and like this really like heinous looking trench coat and this like scratched up leather purse and she's just walking out of like the grocery store with her stuff and it's like i love that for you for for listeners who don't know who she is what is she known for? oh yes okay sorry and at benning um if you love greta gerwig and at benning was in 20th century women with her being Julia was a classic Annette Benning movie, The American President. She was in a movie with Denzel Washington that I saw recently for the first time called The Siege, which is a very like interesting political thriller. Um, and she's perhaps best known for American Beauty. Yeah. And so right. is there anything that makes her particularly saintly besides just being she herself is, and walking she, around with sandwiches and wine? I mean, yes, that. <laughs> but also she is just... Um, I just think she's like the bee's knees. She's so great. I've yeah. interviewed her a couple of times and she's so nice and warm. Um, and also I think as an actor, she's very interested in, very selective about choosing things that really reflect her artistic vision and like adding something into the world and not really taking away from it. Um, and also I love that she is like very invested in telling the stories of women and working with other women. So I think that's cool. Yeah. So awesome. Saint Annette. Saint Annette Benning. Hunter, thank you so much. People can find your work on Vulture. Where, yes. where Anything else you want to plug? Um, yeah, just Vulture, uh, New York Magazine's entertainment site. Um, I'm also on Twitter at um, Hunter Y. Harris and on Instagram is at Hunter H. But yeah. Awesome. awesome. Thank right. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hunter. episode is brought to you by Santa Clara University's Jesuit School of Theology, located in Berkeley, California. Learn to serve at the intersection of scholarship and culture. Find out more at scu.edu JST. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. Uh, we have a new newsletter for people who support us on Patreon. Yeah, hopefully you heard about this in our Facebook group, but... Uh, one of the new Patreon perks that we're launching is a newsletter handwritten by uh, Olga, Ashley, or myself on a rotating basis. You you cannot pay more just to not get mine, but I guess everything's <laughs> can, for sale. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you could, we could. that's true. <laughs> um, but this is going to include uh, our thoughts are on the week's episode, um, how the interview went, uh, our favorite uh, book or TV show that we're reading or watching, um, and also things that we're finding either in pop culture or in our work here or things we're observing that are helping us in our own spiritual journey. Right. Also and memes. Also memes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ashley has a section, Gifts of the Holy Spirit, which she includes in hers. Uh, so you can find out all about that and more at patreon.com slash America Media. Uh, but speaking of, we have some new patrons to shout out this week. Yes, we do. So shout out this week to Dale Gentry, Jordan Carter, and Angelo Canta. Yes. Thank you all so much. We can't do the show without you. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So this week I've got a consolation. I was able to bring one of my best friends to church with me this past Sunday, and I normally have pretty strong divisions between what I call my 
Christian church-going friends and my non-Christian friends. And this is just my own fault. I find it very hard to kind of mix those two worlds. But in sharing that experience with her and bringing her into that space, I felt this renewed kind of freedom in knowing that I can be who will you know, I am. All parts of me can be fully visible to the people around me and that, you know, this is who God made me. So to try to kind of hide my Christianity from people that I love makes no sense. So the consolation was just in that freedom that I felt in having her there with me. That's a tough thing to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. What do you have, Zach? I have a consolation this week that was uh, inspired by uh, just a random phone call from my grandmother last night. Uh, She wanted to know if I was at the Cleveland Browns (laughs) game because they were playing the New York Jets. Um, And thankfully, I think grandma has been praying because the Cleveland Browns won. Um, But uh, it's just a reminder that uh, she's been struggling with some health problems. And it's something I worry about a lot, especially I worry a both about her and also about whether or not I'm, you know, being a good grandson, you know, because I'm not there all the time and not there a lot at all, actually, being here in New York. Um, And her call just randomly out of the blue reminded me that she's still loving me and still loving the people around her and that, uh, you know, the way she even loving my grandpa, you know, in sickness and in health, um, that all cut through the noise all of my anxiety that I was feeling about it, um, about other things. And so the consolation is having love do that, cut through the noise, cut through the anxiety. The noise through the bar as well. Yeah, (laughs) the noise of the bar too. Yeah, she was, yeah. Luckily I was able to hear her and she could hear me. That's great. What do you have, Ashley? I also have a consolation this week. Uh, So one of my roles here at America is editing the faith and focus section. So I'm often reading people's faith essays. Um, And this week I was editing one by a freshman, a new freshman at a Jesuit university. And she just wrote in a really raw and honest way about the loneliness that she was feeling. Um, And this, this sense that she had never felt like she belonged. And now that she was at college in a new place, she wasn't sure if she was ever going to feel like she really belonged to like a, a good big friend group. Um, and I just, I reading it, I was like tearing up because it was just like I've, I've, I felt that way when I was in college. Um, and and her writing just prompted me to look back at on that time, but with a much more like sympathetic view of myself, being like, oh, like you felt lonely, but even then, like you had people around you who loved you and who are still like your very, very good friends today. Um, and now you you do feel like you belong somewhere. And so like it made me it made me love that lonely person I was back in in college and and see that God was operating around me and all the all the friends I did have. Um, and it made, yeah, it just made me want to reach out to this college freshman and tell her that, you know, she is loved and I think it'll it'll get better. Yeah. So you could do that. Yeah, I might. Yeah. <laughs> Take us out here, Ashley. All right. Jesuitical is produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Tucker Redding. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Chase LaRue. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.